y'all. I'm Erin Bagwell. And I'm Diana Matthews. Welcome to Feminist Wednesday's Beaver Talk, the podcast where we give Hollywood unsolicited advice about feminism. In our world, people of color shouldn't have to fly to avoid getting harassed by the police. Discomfort is a necessary part of growth. And white men stop getting rewarded for the savior narrative. Join us as we deep dive into all the things that fire us up about film and television. The glorious, the misogynistic, and the groundbreaking. This is Beaver Talk. Good morning, ladies. You could speak. Yeah. <laughs> Good morning. We're live. Um, we're so excited to have um, Kishori Rajan and Kelly Robbins Hicks, who are the executive producers of the HBO series Random Acts of Flyness. Um, Kishori is a also a producer of the films American Fable and The Price, and are both being released theatrically in 2017, or have been released theatrically with premieres at South by Southwest. She is also producing the upcoming feature films, The Short History of the Long Road and Both Ends Burning. She's a 2017 Keynes Producer Fellow, a 2017 Tribeca All Access grantee, and the first U.S. producer ever to be selected for a European Producers Network, EAVE. Kishori graduated from Columbia University and is based in New York City. Thank you for being here, Kishori. Thanks for having me. And we also have uh, Kelly Robbins-Hicks, who is, of course, the executive producer of the critically acclaimed HBO series Random Acts of Flyness. Her independent film work has been featured at Sundance, Toronto Film Fest, and BET. A former events producer, she has produced work for Samsung, YouTube, and Mont Blanc. She is a two-time graduate of the University of Texas at Austin and lives in Harlem with her husband, Broderick Hicks, and their son, Major, and soon-to-be... Another, another boy. Another boy. So yeah. exciting. <laughs> Thanks so much, ladies, for being here. Um, we have a weird connection to this show because I produced a documentary called Dream Girl about female entrepreneurs in New York City and worked with uh, the incredible animations company Mighty Oak, Love who them. you guys mm-hmm. also worked with yeah. for Random Acts of Flyness. And um, it was such a treat to be able to watch the show, obviously, because it's so groundbreaking and brilliant, um, but to also see their work. And to kind of see their um, touch of animation come in and out. So um, thanks so much, guys, for being here. Yeah, happy to be here. Very happy to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Before we dive into the show, which I have so many questions and so much that I want to get into and that we want to talk about, I'd love to know what what are you guys um, loving right now in media? Is there any other, do you guys, could you have time to watch shows? <laughs> <laughs> do you look at other things? Are you, are you in, are you out? Or what's your media diet like these days? Um, definitely feeling behind on things in yeah. general from this year. I think I'll speak for both of us that we've been <laughs> waking up with the show, going to sleep with the show. Um, it's weekends the, with the show. Weekend with the show. <laughs> meals with the show. Um, yeah, what kind of hours are you working? 24. Uh, 20, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean yeah. this, is, this is a show that you can't casually engage with in order to make. Yeah. And it's been at that pace for pretty much a full 12 months. But mm-hmm. that said, um, there's stuff I'm looking forward to seeing. This is my favorite time of the year, partly because, oh, you know, movies are so good right now. Um. And yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing Roma and the new MIA doc and mm, yeah. uh, a lot of stuff that's coming out. I feel like mostly what I've been doing is reading books lately. Um, 
because that's just I can read on the subway. Um, so I've been reading a lot, and there's been some good stuff that I've been liking. Um, oh. Actually, in the conversation of, of pregnancy, there's a book. I was telling Kelly about this book called Motherhood um, by Sheila Hetty. I think that's how you say your last name. But it's about uh, like a 40-something woman um, talking about her ambivalence of whether or not she should be mm. um, a mother when her, her art, which is for her her writing work, is so fulfilling and just sort of questioning that, you know, that part of her identity of do I, am I wanting this because everyone else is doing it or do I really want this? So that was an interesting book. Amazing. As someone who does not have kids, I thought yeah. that was yeah. interesting. Cool. cool. Kelly, what about you? What are you interested in? Uh, random acts of flyness. <laughs> <laughs> I am beyond behind. I mean, first, once you have a kid, like, all free things. I thought I was going to have so much time to just watch Housewives. You will, like the first three months. Yeah. And then it's <laughs> and all then over. Done. Yeah. And then they start wiggling and yeah. it's all exactly. game over. I've, I've actually like been planning a binge of like so much stuff when I deliver this baby. Yeah. Of, like things to catch up on. Yeah. Because between the show and my son, who's 19 months old, uh, wow. there's just not a second. Yeah. And that one pregnant also. But actually on the way here... I was listening to the new season of Serial, which I was obsessed oh with. Oh, yeah. um, yes. The first season, like, probably listened to it 10 times. Just a little nuts. Really? <laughs> yeah. No, I, 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 get, I get obsessed about things. Um, <laughs> and it's all about the criminal justice system, and they spend a year in Ohio, in Ohio uh, Cleveland courtrooms. It was infuriating what I was listening to. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I'm, like, back in. I'm, I'm full-on obsession. Wow. I can't wait to see what else they bring to us. So that's my... My media for right now, I guess. Cool. Yeah. Um, how did you guys come to Random Acts of Flyness? What was your story of getting hooked onto the show? Or um, So Kelly, myself, and there's a third executive producer named Jamin Washington. The three of us, um, a couple of years back, kind of formed uh, or identified ourselves as a producing team of sorts. Uh, three of us come from different backgrounds, but just get along really well, which is something you don't take lightly in this industry Absolutely. <laughs> and um, have very similar tastes and very similar wants as both creators and audience members of what we wanted to see out there. And um, Terrence Nance, all three of us, I think, knew him or knew of him um, before that. Um, I met him for the first time, I think, in 2012 or 11 or something. It's, it's not a huge indus- industry, uh, especially if you're based in New York after a certain point especially if you're people of color in the industry, you kind of get to know each other or know of each other. And um, I was, you know, a fan of his personally and uh, liked him personally. And um, the short version is he reached out to us to, he was looking for producers for his, what was then um, a pre-pilot pilot to potentially pitch. A presentation. Yeah. yeah. Presentation is the right word. Yeah. Um there's a uh, fund that Time Warner uh, has that is phased out now, but it's called uh, one, the 150 Fund, and it was run by uh, Tamir Mohammed, who used to work at Tribeca. And w- what they do essentially is they give a little bit of money, like a really small amount of money, to artists that they're identifying as artists on the rise. And basically they're like, what is your dream project? And you know, what would you potentially love to pitch if you had an opportunity to pitch to a room full of executives? And because it's Time Warner associated, 
you get the chance to pitch to Time Warner subsidiary companies. So that's HBO, CNN, Adult Swim, et cetera. So um, I talked to Terrence about this back in Thanksgiving of 2015. Um, and HBO and all of that wasn't on the radar. It was just like, I have this idea. It was like a two-page document he sent us um, and had the title. It was called, <laughs> had random acts of flyness. But it was more of a document of um, what, it, what he did not what he wanted the show not to be oh, interesting. Mm. more than it was sh- what he wanted the show to be. It was like, I don't want it to be the daily show. I don't want it to be this. I, I want it to be topical without it chasing topics. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really appealing to me. And I was just like, we had, it was like a no budget situation, like truly a no budget situation. And just, it was like a very scrappy thing. And I was like, Terrence is great. I mean, why not? I'll just, we'll start putting things together. And then in May of 2016, um, we pitched it, or it was pitched to different channels, and we got offers um, to basically make the full pilot. Um, and we got offers from HBO and some others. Um, we went with HBO, obviously, and then we completed the pilot, and then in May of 2018, got the official green light to series. So that was long process it's a long process yeah yeah and for those people who are not familiar with the film industry what do you what's your role on the show like how would you describe being ex- being an executive producer I'll let you take that oh, one. <laughs> <laughs> um we do everything yeah <laughs> <laughs> or at least we're responsible for everything i should say we don't do everything we hire people that are professionals <laughs> that do the you know the work but we're responsible at the end of the day for what the show looks like, making sure that the writer and director's visions are on the air um, within the budget that we're given from the network. Uh, that's everything from like get, finding locations, hiring crew, dealing with legal, working on music, just everything. I mean, I top to bottom, soup to nuts, everything you see, you've had a hand in in some way. And, and some things like very, very directly involved in and others just overseeing and making sure those professionals had like the support they needed. Yeah, I think that was one of the things that struck me. I mean, we'll talk about like thematically, you know, the conversation about race in America, but I was thinking, I kept thinking about the production budget <laughs> and like, how do you, cause you have, yeah. there's so, the, the show is like a stream of conscious of all of these different, you know, there's skits, there's animated, it's music, there's, and how do you, how do you compartmentalize and how much, like is the show, I guess to ask a writing question, like, are you putting it all on the, does, do we have it all on the page? And then you're going, Crazy then you're enough. lifting and saying, okay, you can have this much money for the, like, how do you even I mean, budget a show you like can't. this? That's the, yeah. That was what well, we can now, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> going into it, that was one of the big challenges was we were given a budget and we were fighting for a budget that we didn't really know what we were fighting for. Yeah, Nothing had been written. We were just basing it off of, sort of what the pilot episode was. Um, and we did write everything that you see in the show with the exception of the documentary segments um, and maybe some like small transitions was actually written. Mm. And uh, I actually was speaking with Terrence about it this weekend. That's one of the things I'm most proud of is that they were able to actually write these things. Yeah. And then we were actually able to get that on the screen. Um, it wasn't just like this improv that just happened and we got lucky. I mean, it feels so thoughtful. So there's no way you could just. Right. F- but there, I think one of the the joys of the show, too, is that there's such a, a 
flow to it maybe mm-hmm. but it, it's so meticulously designed and styled and the vision is so strong there yeah it, and i think what's like you know for all of us who've produced before at the end of the day when you're producing a movie there's a consistent cast or the consistent yeah look and it's this consistent style i think this is sort of like the producing olympics for us <laughs> because it's like every not only is every episode totally different every for segment sure. within every episode is totally different so we're dealing with all the complexities of like producing a musical and producing some like animation like the way mighty oaks is like which is a totally different type of style and think technical skills to learn and technical skills to hire and support we have several animated segments throughout this the season and there's literally no two pieces of animation that are even the same style mm-hmm. um so i think and, and even the t- different type of docs style stuff though there was no two similar ways of doing that like every, every terrence dance and everyone just has a very everything was done in a different style every single episode had a different cast so there was never a consistent flow to 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 get even used to, yeah, which I think for us was like we had to zig and zag and zig and zag with for for the twelve months. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that that comes through like <laughs> so wholeheartedly when you're watching it. It's just like the first thing I thought of was like, how did they make this? Because it's like everything is flowing so well, but you also have such an appreciation for everything being different and it being this puzzle and mosaic of just a completely different style, a, a musical here, a documentary there, an animation here, a skit there. Um, you know, the challenges I'm sure are plenty, <laughs> but maybe what what does it look like to bring those things from paper to the screen? Like what is the process of kind of getting that together and the nuts and bolts of, of your role in putting it onto screen? I guess one group that I'm, I keep forgetting to mention that needs to be heralded, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> our editors. Yes. Um, that was a huge task and also making it cohesive and, you know, all flow together. But we started the writing room and just, <clears throat> I'm so sorry. Right. We had like a blue sky period where we just like, just talked about the world and what was happening. And I think right when we started was sort of the beginnings of the Me Too movement. So you can see a lot of that um, in the show. And it was, we were joking the other day, like every day at lunch, it was like, oh, so-and-so had to apologize. Oh, so-and-so got just, you know, accused of this or that. It was a constant daily thing. From there, we started scripting out ideas and we had 400 ideas, I believe, when we first started. Yeah. Which we narrowed down to 150. And I think we ended up shooting between 80 and 100 segments. Mm-hmm. And not everything we shot made it in. Yeah, there's stuff that's. There's some great stuff we didn't yeah. get to make to the air, which is sad. Yeah, it's but... sad. <laughs> Um, and then from there, we sort of shot it like a film mm-hmm. uh, because we didn't really know how else to do it. We had a really limited timeline. And so we just sort of shot by location instead of by episode. So, um, And we were shooting like sometimes five or six segments a day. And then we'd come back to one at a time. Some segments we could shoot in half a day. And some segments were like four days long of shooting. Um, and then once it was all in a can, that's when like the real, the real stuff began. I mean, and also because we had limited resources, like to have an, a very long production schedule, we had multiple units shooting at the same time. So mm. there was unit A on the stage doing something more formal, like that had you know sets, you know, with formally built sets and and costumes and things that needed sort of more classic resources. But at the, and while that would be shooting, I'd have. You know, we'd have like a, a junior producer and um, a, a B unit camera team 
doing doc stuff and getting going out into the city doing other stuff and it was just a pretty manic <laughs> very manic schedule it's like game of thrones yeah it makes game yeah. of thrones look small yeah. <laughs> um but i think for me a good example of how unusual this show is is in the third episode we have a we were always refer to to it as the second amendment doc and i think it's a good example of um something that was created entirely after principal photography ended Mm. um, and something that didn't really get unearthed in terms of what it was going to be like in the end until the edit, like what Kelly was saying. Um, And Kelly and I were literally getting these talking head interviews. For those who haven't seen it, it's the segment that questions this idea of does the Second Amendment actually apply to all of us um, equally? And what is it like to be black in America and be a gun owner and why is it a different thing to be a gun owner and be black versus being a gun owner and not being black? And I, I'm someone who's, and it was a really interesting piece for me to see evolve because I'm someone personally who's very rapidly anti-gun in sort of a very probably extreme way, I guess, in the discussion of it. Um, and I was like personally nervous about how it was going to end up. And it was something Terrence and I talked about personally a lot. And it's, for me, a segment I'm really proud of because I think it does what the show should do, which is push it pushed my own concept of the second amendment it pushed my own concept of of how to have this discussion of gun ownership a little bit um but that's a segment also from the logistics side like kelly was getting i mean how many interviews did you get for I that we ended up doing four yeah but she was getting all across the country all across the country wow. and you know we were like okay we have to find we found a black gun owner who's willing to talk in philadelphia in florida and wherever so that means kelly or i are dealing with okay we have to find someone who's going to shoot that and drive out there and get the permits and we're remotely managing that and shipping the drives back to us and um you know and then in the edit it becomes this whole other thing absolutely well i think one of the most interesting things about the show is the i don't know how to articulate it but like there's a heaviness to it that's so um thoughtfully done but i think also from the perspective of you know obviously i'm a white woman And I feel like, you know, I live in Brooklyn in this liberal bubble. And I feel like, you know, and Diana and I had talked about this, that we kind of have these liberal conversations and we want to be allies. But I think there's something so impactful about feeling the heaviness of the media and of this show. And really, you know, it's one thing, I think, to read it on a page. It's another thing to feel like, you know, to be so invested in, you know, Terrence's character when he's you know, accidentally gets into the wrong car at the movie theater and to feel the pressure and the pain and the the day-to-day anxiety that people of color must feel. I think, you know, this show is so brilliant and so revolutionary for being able to conceive, not conceive, but translate that, like, emotionally. Can you guys talk a little bit about your choices in in how that was conveyed or, you know, or maybe some of the topics that you chose to talk about? I mean, I think you articulated that pretty well. Um, I think we always joke, like, there's no way how to, we don't even know how to categorize the show. I mean, we have, we're under this late night umbrella, which, you know, implies comedy, but we're not, it is, there is a heaviness. Um, and I think what something that Terrence and all of us are trying to do is like, why are you laughing? Or like, what is, why are you pausing? Or like, what is making you uncomfortable here? Mm. Um, and I think the show does a good job of, making you confront your reactions to things and testing the limits of your reactions to things. Um, 
I mean, I'll let Kelly answer this too. I think so much of it came from people's personal lives. Yeah. I think, um, and I've said this before, I think this is something I'm really proud of with the show is that we're not, we're not a trendy show. Like even though we're encompassing so many like hashtaggy think PC topics right now, like all of us, this is all of our lives before the hashtags right. existed, right? Like this is, the writer's room was so much about people's, um, like families, like just mm-hmm. what was it like? Just com- just men in the room being like, yeah, I wasn't, I was, it was not okay if I showed affection to my male mm-hmm. cousin. Like that was like looked at like that. This, this is literally my specific memory of hanging out with my uncles and this is how they would react to things. Like that's, it didn't come from like research or really came from an ins- like a, an internal place for so many of the writers and directors and people on the team. Yeah, I think that authenticity, especially in our writing process was, was huge. And then something that Terrence made very clear early on, and I think we've kept to it, was like, we're not trying to tell people what to think. Mm. We're just having a conversation and an authentic conversation. So I think that adds to the weightiness because as Kishori said, these are people's real lives. These are the, the stories and the experiences that they had. And we just want you to hear it. And then from hearing it from a really true perspective, what do you think mm-hmm. versus like, being preached to and saying, I think this and you need to think what I think. It's just like, here's the story. Here's what happened. How does that affect you? Yeah. And the way that, oh, sorry. Okay. No, yeah. Um, just in the way that you talked about how like the, it demanded such a high level of attention to put together and to produce, it demands equally high level of attention from the viewer yeah. to realize <laughs> how they're reacting, to not text and be on other <laughs> things while they're watching it. I mean, I watched it and I was just like so aware of everything I was feeling and riffing off Aaron, what you mentioned about like, you know, we like to think we're very liberal and we like to think we're very engaged. And it challenged in the way that you were talking about with the Second Amendment piece, it challenged my viewpoints and it challenged how the beliefs that I hold consciously or subconsciously to just, you know, be so aware of our own implicit biases and our own experiences. Um, And it's that idea of not being it's topics, but it's not topical. Like this is evergreen content. This is lived experience. This is personal stories and true stories. That's what adds to the level of like, oh, what you're watching happened. Mm -hmm. And the person who it happened to maybe created the piece, which makes it even more personal. And and there's just such a deeply, deeply individual personal level to everything on it. Yeah. That I felt. I mean, even um, in our second episode, there's a cat calling sort of sequence. And, a lot of that obviously came from all of the women in the room explaining what it's like to walk down the street. But it also came from like men who would be identified as like the wokest men of color in the world were like, I used to catcall like this. Yeah. And like, why did I do that? Like mm-hmm. it was, I think we were very, what I really loved about the room was that it was truly not trying to be like, well, who's like the most woke. It's just really literally like who, what is my existence? And like, that's how you get to it. You don't try to, there was never a posturing of like, well, this is what, like, we're going to sit on a, on a, you know, we're going to be indignant about the world and we're going to judge how people are reacting and, and, you know, treating us. It's like, no, this is, this is how badly I felt in this moment. This is the thing that I inappropriately laughed at. (laughs) This is the thing that I'm like, I know everyone's like, Kelly and I have talked about this, like the thing, the stuff that everyone's like, I, I should, this is my, what I should be reacting to as a woman. This is what I should be feeling. And it's like, eh, I'm not really feeling that. Like, why is that? Yeah. Um, I think I think we were good about, the yeah. room was good about 
being honest and, and that, no judgment. About that it. goes to one of the one of the main rules we had in the room, which was uh, the show does not have to agree with itself. Mm. Mm. And you see that a few times throughout, where we'll you'll have something in one episode, and the next episode doesn't quite. So one of the running themes is like the black woman won't save you. That it's not our job to save everybody. But then there's also a piece called Michelle Obama is God. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like that's sort of contradictory, you know. Yeah. It's like we're not going to save you, but, um, but she we're comes also up God. quite a bit yeah. in this series. Yeah. Yeah. We're big uh, Michelle Obama fans. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's such a permission granting to like accept all of our complexities and right. inaccuracies, and exactly. like the dissonance we all feel within ourselves through these very intense conversations. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. What other rules were in the writers' room? Yeah, uh, the main rule was to not centralize the oppressor. Mm, yeah. Uh, um, whatever the oppressor is to you. We had an all-black writer's room, so a lot of that was like uh, white supremacy. But we also had a very female-heavy room, so was, patriarchy was another big one. Mm -hmm. um, gender was a big one. Or the idea of what gender or, should yeah, be. Yeah, gender and sexuality. So not whatever you feel like is oppressing you, we don't want to focus on that. Let's focus on ourselves and like highlight and champion ourselves. Mm. But then one of my favorites is the fifth episode, which is, it's like the white episode. <laughs> and when we were uh, submitting these to the network, we put like a little uh, <laughs> byline. This about, is like, the white man's episode. This is like what every episode is about. Because they're yeah, hard yeah. to digest sometimes, sure. and especially in rough, raw format mm, yeah. that the network well, was seeing. Well, a lot of them, them have in. different themes too. Right? So. And this one was my favorite like byline about it because it was <laughs> like, this proves that we're not perfect and indulgence is fun. Because mm -hmm. it is the episode that we do centralize the oppressor. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was fun. And it was indulgent. Yeah. Can you talk about that episode? That's such an interesting. Yeah. That's, what that's I, the yeah, one with the guy from House of Cards, right? Yeah. Yeah. Paul, Paul Sparks, who yeah. was Amazing. Lovely. 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 that can hire Paul Sparks, hire him. Yeah. Not that he needs us to promote him, but <laughs> yeah. he's, he's one of the like most generous, well-prepared actors. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And he was so excited for the show. And, you know, I feel like it's worth mentioning we had some high-profile cameos. You know, we had John Hamm and Whoopi Goldberg. and Paul I Sparks. loved Whoopi as that police officer. Yeah, yeah she's so good. She's and incredible. amazing. And I don't I think, think I breathed through the John Hamm segment. <laughs> I, don't, I think I was literally holding my breath. I was like, what is going to happen? What is happening? What, like, body checking, how do I feel? It was a lot. Yeah, and I think it's worth mentioning because I think people see HBO and they're like, oh, of course they could get higher name people. But you have to understand that we were at least especially for John Hamm and the pilot, HBO wasn't yet on. So he, tr and he didn't know who I was or Terrence, but like he truly just read the script, did his research and was like, sure. yeah, I'll show up to this cool. scrappy, scrappy set, you know, scrappy. like this was like a no, <laughs> it looks really good though, guys. Well, at that point we had like, no, I mean, all like it, yeah, so the we're, pilot we're, that we see, like the first episode, is your pilot. Yes. Yeah, looks great. Wow, Thanks. Thanks. it looks amazing. I mean, there was definitely content that was made before. Like it was, a, it was an accumulation of stuff. Yeah. But, yeah, but still, you know, he didn't have a trailer. Like he was really just there for the cause, and I will always be very grateful to him for that because, um, a, he does not need us for anybody to like him or get work. You know, it's not like he got rich off of this at all. Um, and B, he, you know, he really just took the time to, you know, you send these things out into the ether to, to agents, know. and you really we got a lot of no's, like to be clear. Mm. So he, it was such a it was such a magical thing for him to say yes. And, you know, Whoopi, all these people would, were so gracious with their time. And so, you know, these were not fancy sets, is I guess my point. So um, it meant a lot to us yeah, when absolutely. people sh showed up and embraced what we were doing. Because it it's a weird concept. There's no 
easy pitch for this show. And it'll be easier next time. Easier, hopefully, in season two. <laughs> but honestly, for a lot of the guest stars, um, we just sent them the pilot after John. You know, this is for the rest of the episode, and be like, "You're this is this is what we're this is our vibe." And people, we did get a lot of notes. I think it's worth mentioning oh, yeah, we that. Yeah, plenty of notes. <laughs> plenty of there were agents who called our casting director and was like, "What like." What trash are you sending us? Like, are is your how high do you, how have, high to, do you have to be? To watch this. I'm gonna leave the name of the agency out, but the head <laughs> of the, one agency literally called our casting director and was like, "What like drugged up thing is this? Like, viewed it viewed it as an insult that we were sending this material to them. I mean, this is the industry is that mostly. Wow, wow, wow. Um, so it's when we did get cameos of of people who, you know, had no reason to do it other than just being down to be part of something weird and different you know it meant a lot yeah, yeah. I also thought I think it's interesting I think was that the episode also that did the conversation around the breaking bad yeah the the, oh yeah sorry your question yeah well just to, I <laughs> yeah. mean I, I think something that you guys did really well is or gals I guess we should be trying to use more feminine pronouns <laughs> <laughs> trying to break myself of it um is the way that you can bounce between like sometimes I felt like I was like in a black philosophy class and I was like yes I'm like getting all this information and then sometimes it's like oh I'm watching like a really intense news segment Mm -hmm. um and then you know it's narrative and it's storytelling was it a struggle to figure out a balance of how to do that per episode or Mm. I think the Breaking Bad one was one of my favorites because I was just like oh my gosh (laughs) this is crazy and I I thought it was made me I was really thinking about it a lot afterwards. I think for that episode in particular like we have to give all respect and praise to Terrence. Mm. Uh, White Devil and White Angel are like his like opus. It's like he's been waiting to say these things to the world um, for years and uh, and not always with all of our support. <laughs> <laughs> we were skeptical, I mean, of, of whether it was going to convey the point well enough, right. I think. Yeah, um, and it, it does. And when, when, it, when we, we shot it and we finally saw it, I was like, damn it, he was right. <laughs> I was like, this is so good. Yeah. <laughs> and I think something like White Angel, which was the Paul Sparks, for those who haven't yeah. seen it, it's... it's um. It's a narrative, like a formally shot narrative segment about a, a Hollywood actor who sets out to make a movie that ends up to the Oscars that's a white savior film. And um, that's not a small resource thing to shoot also because we had to make it look... For sure. It's gorgeous. We had, it looks like a film. White Angel <laughs> is essential viewing for everybody who likes the Oscars, everyone yeah. who likes Hollywood, everyone who like is in love with all the crisp the Chris's that live in Hollywood. It's like, <laughs> I just, I watched White Angel and I was like, this is everything I've when been mad about. When that producer like pulls him aside and is like, imagine yourself at the Oscars. Like we got to push through this. I was like, <laughs> yeah. it's everything I've been mad about in Hollywood for yeah. my short life. That's good. That's good to hear. I mean, that was one, I guess we can be frank about this. We shot this, we shot that at, after principal photography ended. So we, we had, even less money had, like, resources. That was also a no budget, like truly no budget. Like I was riding in the PA truck. Like it was like a down and dirty shoot. So I'm particularly proud we got yeah. that one done. But Same. the white devil piece, which again, if you haven't watched it, it's um it's essentially a think piece, and he refers to it as that. He's it's 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 meant to be incredibly subjective. It's not pretending not to be, but it's a theory that is looking at all the um white devil shows, which maybe you guys be better at explaining if you want to take a crack at explaining what that is but um 
Yeah. Since you like, it's, it's the yeah. antihero. Yeah. Um, but it's that it doesn't seem that everyone gets a chance to be the antihero. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that we've celebrated these white male antiheroes. There's a couple of uh, women, I think, um, Claire Danes' character on Homeland, Homeland, Homeland yeah. and Nurse Jackie. But in general, it's like the Tony Sopranos and. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like they're Walter always White. worthy of redemption, no matter right. how no bad, matter how bad they are. Because they're yeah. just a regular guy. Right, yeah. And it's we don't really get that for anybody else, really, mm-hmm. that they get to be a bad guy, but it's redeeming because they're just trying to do good. Right. Um, and it I, should be noted that John Hamm's, like, Mad Men character, John Draper, is part of it. And For sure. Yeah, we did email John Hamm ahead of time to give him the heads up. And he's like, I, he loved the segment, which... It was great. Yeah. John Ham seems down. John Ham is. He's down. like great. Yeah, he's he's good, amazing. He's a real deal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that the both of those things are, like I guess, that are Terrence's like his his letter to Hollywood essentially. Mm. Of like I'm sick of this shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like this is enough. We've seen this over and over and over and over again um, without questioning. Without it. questioning it. And not only do we've seen it over and over again, but it keeps being celebrated. Yeah. Uh, versus ever questioned. It's fine to have antiheroes. They're they're interesting people. It's fine to have white characters. Like, we're not, like, I think it's just that sometimes people are, the antidote to this is, like, sort of a, um, like, a Band-Aid of, like, okay, we all, like, we will only, like, we all, you guys must only want one thing. Like, you guys must only want people of color. Like, it has to be all these things. And it's, like, we'd like more of it, but we're not trying to, like, some of my favorite movies and favorite TV shows are definitely very white shows and yeah. white movies and well, same I don't for think all it, of us. I don't think it feels like a, like offensive in any way as a white person. I think you're, I think you come to surprised. the show. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you come to the show because you realize that we live in a, a culture that celebrates white people and the patriarchy and you're there to get a different perspective. I mean, that's how I felt like I entered the show is like um, not from a place of judgment, but from a place of learning, like we're going to be open to, um, these different dynamics and these different themes. Like I'm not coming to the show to feel seen. Like I'm coming to, to, to see. To see. Yeah. 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 Um, but how has the reaction? I was going to say, oh, it's, 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 it's been a little disappointing in that it's so expected. Mm. Yeah, like, it's, it's like just, cartoon it's, level. Yeah. It's just like, you're a racist. It's like, what? Well, we're also living in Trump's America. <laughs> exactly. So I it wonder. Doesn't if, help. Yeah. Is There's that... a, there was a guy who did a oh, yeah. YouTube critique of the John Hamm segment of White Thoughts, and he literally stops every like 30 seconds to explain why John Hamm and his White Thoughts are good and okay. And there's nothing wrong with what what's happening. Oh boy! And that like whiteness is amazing. And there, it's just like you missed the whole. First of all, it's jokes. Second of all, yeah. you missed the whole point. Yeah. If you look at the YouTube comments on the John Hamm segment, they are. It, I mean, it, it brings out straight up Nazis. Like there's Heil Hitler's on the comment, and people there. Are, it is aggressively. That one angered people probably the most. Yeah, for sure. And I think... Because people like John Hamm probably people, for something yeah, else. Because I think John Hamm, and this is why for us it was the dream casting, because he is literally the face of like beautiful white male Privilege, masculinity. Yeah. Like he mm-hmm. is a and beautiful... celebrated he is, for yeah. that. Yeah. yeah he's, he's Don like, Draper. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I remember one of the things we talked about often in the room... American white male especially. Yeah. Because the Don Draper thing is so key to like Americana mm-hmm. nostalgia yeah. for that time. And something we talked about a lot was like, you know, people would have Mad Men viewing parties and, you know, I would go to those with people. It's like, but this idea that men could like drink their scotch and like live vicariously and be Don mm. Draper, not in a way that was like ironic, but. They thought it was like a permission granting. A little yeah. bit. 
I got in a huge yeah. fight with a friend at a, like a very similar event where it's like, oh, you don't, you don't want to be Don Draper. <laughs> no. That's like but I think the that, whole point of the show. Yeah. But then it's like, oh, people are reading this on a very different level. Yeah. That was brilliant casting to have him be a part of it. Yeah, that was that was literally like, let's shoot for the moon, and we were literally auditioning no name white male actors in the meantime, just assuming he would never say yes, and then yeah. yeah. One Always of the other segments grateful. that got that gets a lot of like racist or we're racist sort of talks is um, which is one of my favorite segments is Bitch Better Have My Money. <laughs> <laughs> and there was someone on Twitter recently who was like, "This app is in beta," and it's like, N- "No." <laughs> like, I mean, I wish if I could find my reparations, like, show me where to sign up. Yeah. But like, this is a it's just a joke to get you to think. Right. It's not. And also, again, real. why? And for those who haven't seen it, it's um. It's it's a segment that talks about a made up app <laughs> that connects black people with white people who owe them money historically, based on like ancestry DNA testing. Right. So you find out who you're related to, who was your slave owner, and then you can go and get your forty acres and a mule, quote unquote. Right. Um, yeah, people got pretty people mad got about pretty that. mad about it. Oh yeah. man. Yeah. So you mentioned that you're not like surprised by this. Yeah, it's just it was disappointing in that. We were looking forward to the nuanced, the nuanced, like yeah. critical approach. And yeah. there was a couple of things I, I saw that were like, oh, I don't know if I liked this or this wasn't so good. Or did you think about, um, so one was uh, Yaleen, who is the bisexual black man in the first episode when, in the Mighty Oak um, animation. animation. Yeah. And one of the comments was like, well, he's not brown enough as a black man. So it's just defeating the purpose. Mm. I don't agree with that, but that at least was like, a nuanced approach as to like what could have been done differently or better do we think about? Yeah. I think it's a, a silly comment, but I at least appreciate that someone thought something else other than like, ew, bisexual, gross. You know, it's just like, there's so much like basis and like just the, the, the racism, all, it's just, it's so easy to just target the thing that you think is, that's just pushed your little button without actually like you saying, going and trying to see and sit there and think, how does this, how do I actually feel about this versus it just pushed my button? Mm-hmm. Um, and there were a lot of just button pushing responses. Yeah, it's like a way of elevating the conversation right. to get beyond the what and examine the why, why? and the how. Exactly. And it's like that taking that step up is, I think, what the show demands of its viewers. But I know, yeah, it's, it's probably a lot of people are not comfortable taking that at all. It was it, it was surprisingly harder, I guess, for people to do than I expected it mm. to be. Um, yeah, I think in this culture of again, like aesthetic wokeness that we people really like to embrace now. I mean, corporations like to embrace it now. I think that's also why I was expecting people to be like, "Oh, of course I get this show," or of co- you know, people almost in def- defensively crit- crit- finding critiques of it, uh, like, "Oh, white people aren't this bad." Was a critique I was expecting to mm-hmm. see instead of it being like. Like stop making us feel ashamed to be white was like a very common right. Hmm. I was like, no tone. one ever said <laughs> no one ever. That's no, on that's, you. And like yeah. every other media you're ever gonna like look at is celebrating you. You right. can have the space for like, and we need more conversations about this. So I think yeah. those are unfortunate critiques. I'm hopefully wondering. We'll get there. We'll get there one day for sure. Well, and that's the power of the show is hopefully there are people who you're kind of you know, who maybe are on the edge that you're pushing to get a little closer of understanding a perspective that's not theirs. I was really trying to figure out if I could get my mom to watch (laughs) (laughs) and trying to figure out if maybe segments, because I feel like she's really come a long way within the last couple of years of being more inclusive Mm -hmm. and 
more thoughtful and, you know, thinking about feminism in a different way. So would your mom watch this, Diana? I your think mom totally so. would. She I loves she would. Quentin Tarantino. I'm She's definitely like, sending her White Angel and John Hamm. <laughs> I yeah, was worried about my parents in. watching it. Yeah. Really? really? Yeah. yeah my, I'm from Texas. I grew up in a very conservative, religious, black household. And the race stuff, my parents were like, all on board for but there's a lot of the gender and sexuality stuff mm. that i was like i mean my dad's 78 years old yeah and i was like i don't know so what they think they actually really enjoyed it but what's surprising is my mother who seems to tends to be i feel like i shouldn't label her i thought she tends to be a little <laughs> more close-minded she said after the pilot episode she was like that was so brilliant and so beautiful and so sad and mm. like so many people's lives that need to be heard and told and i was like whoa i was like wait a minute mama is woke yes. <laughs> so wow. yeah i mean i encourage you know i encourage you sending it to your mothers just because even if they hate it they think it's the most ridiculous thing i've ever seen they've never seen it right yeah so like how do you how do you ever get there if you haven't seen it? That's the thing. I think there, there's just no other piece of media, you know, TV, me, like film aside that is like this. And I think it's important for people to watch just because it's something you, you've never seen before. Mm-hmm. And that brings out a whole other symphony of reactions that are important to feel. Yeah, I feel like all white people should be forced to watch it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and then deep, think deeply about their lives and... Everything in it, but everyone. I and mean, it was, yeah, it was really challenging for, for me. The, there yeah. were so many things about this show that were challenging for me. And having you know been doing it for a year, from the genesis to the writers' mm-hmm. room, there were things where I was like, oh no. Yeah. Can I ask you guys? Are you? Do you? How do you? Are you building in any kind? I know self care is like such a buzzword, but if you're inundated with all of these issues and thoughts, mm-hmm. and I know you kind of addressed it, you know, at the last the finale of like woke woman needs to sleep. Yeah. Um, do you guys sleep on these issues at all? Are you it's giving a really yourselves a break? How can you, because I would imagine doing a show like this, you're constantly thinking about it and you kind of have to be awake to pull ideas and narratives. That's a really good, that's a really good question. I, so one thing that Terrence made sure we did at the beginning of every day in the writer's room was a meditation. Just, mm. just anyone. Terrence can, sounds great, by the way. Is, Terrence is a real deal. <laughs> Terrence great, is, yeah. I feel like he's, you know, he's going to blow up and, He's going to continue to blow up, and I, I feel like it's important to make sure people know he's a very kind and, like, he's, like, the true great person to Absolutely. work with, and it's rare. Um, but he uh, insisted on a meditation. It was just 10 minutes, but um, I think that really helps set the tone every day, and we also would start every day just going around saying how we were feeling mm-hmm. about anything. It could be like, and someone could say something how like. How many people are in the writer's room? There were eight writers. And then producers. And the two of us. Yeah. Okay. Um, and in that space, you could say, you know, I'm really stressed about paying my bills for this reason. Or, you know, my mom's sick. Or like, it could be anything. And yeah. people, you know, totally not work related. And I think a great thing about Terrence and I, everyone in that room, they, like everyone took each other's personal lives so seriously. Mm. Um. I can't say that that like calm Zen like thing was like through production. I mean, every, you know, there's, there's a limit to that, but right. I think for the writing, at least there was a very, um, un- there was a very clear understanding that to get to this level, we had to be vulnerable and to be vulnerable, you had to feel safe. Yeah. Um, so that was, I think we did a good job in that. In terms of, producing self-care i don't think it really exists <laughs> i think right now i'm like trying to use this next month personally just um to really like dial back and try to just go back to just some self-care stuff for myself because it's been a, it's been an, 
an intense year. Mm-hmm. It's also hard because you get into like a groove and a zone of just go, 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 go. I think maybe the last week and a half, we finally have slowed down just mm-hmm. now. There's yeah. still work to do, but not as much. And it sort of feels weird even. Mm. Yeah. I feel like I have to kind of apologize for it sometimes because mm. I'm like, what do I, I'm, I don't have anything to do. Yeah. <laughs> but I need to take the time and rest and self-care and you, you, you in particular, yeah. <laughs> you. especially while you're growing a baby. Yeah, and something that yeah. my friends have to remind me is like, take it easy. Take it easy. Yeah, don't be so hard on yourself. Like mm. your body is exhausted all the time. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's it is hard, um, but it's you know the beauty of this is it's a project that we love yeah. and that is a passion for all of us. And so, in a lot of ways, it didn't always feel like work. There were definitely days where <laughs> it felt like work, but there are many, many days where I, I was happy to come to work every single day. Every single day I was happy to be there mm. um, and happy. And I got to spend time with my friends. Uh, Kishore and I have become very good friends over the course of this project. Uh, Jamin, our other producer, he and I have been friends for 18 years. So that was also just great. Like I got to hang out with my friends all day long and make something really, really cool. Yeah. So in that way, I guess maybe not as much self-care was needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, just to be honest, the support of our families, I think, mm. is huge. My husband is a godsend. We should make statues to him. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we should. But um, that made it so that I could do the the project and, like, devote myself to it and something that really is important to me. Yeah. Amazing. Absolutely. Well, I mean, the show, I think, is revolutionary. I, before you go, I have to say some of my favorite moments. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> I just have to fangirl a little bit. I think the uh, that scene where the woman wears, like, that black um, grim keeper, and she's, oh, like, Ripa. the children's host, that is bananas. Yeah. And I, every time she came on screen, I was, like, scared for my life. <laughs> um, and then to have the juxtaposition of her being kind of like that Mr. Rogers character where she's welcoming and the children was insane and so brilliant um, i hadn't heard the mr rogers comparison before that's a really <laughs> that's smart good, one yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah it's like she's like a children's yeah. host yeah that so was, you're supposed to like love and tr- but it's it's very crazy that was uh created by francis Bodomo, who's a writer director on the show and an incredibly talented filmmaker and co-written by mariama diallo who's also incredibly talented just want them yes, to get the absolutely. credit yeah for sure <laughs> Um, I also loved the moment where the woman's trying to figure out her or talk about her sexual uh, accuser at the barbecue and has mm-hmm. like her grandmother mm-hmm. figure like taking care of her and ushering her. And like that was such an interesting dynamic of having somebody there with you. You know, Whoopi's cameo I thought was really amazing to have her say pussy like 10 times. Was, like, <laughs> One of my favorite days um, on set for yeah, sure. Yeah, it was for phenomenal. Sure. And then I think my favorite then was the woman – who's sitting on the subway and having that man play that gorgeous jazz riff to her. And that moment I cried. I was like, this is such a pretty pause, I think, because of the tension of the show um, that I thought was so well done. I'm glad you called that out because it's it's one of my favorite moments and I think it gets lost in some of the flashier segments. Mm, Um, That's Moses Sumney, who's this amazing singer. um, And the actress is Diamond Stingley, who's a really incredible artist outside of this um and that was filmed on the subway just on the active subway and that's my favorite moses sumney song so that's like one of my favorite <laughs> moments period yeah. um but yeah i always get a little emotional with it's that so song. beautiful mm-hmm. and i think it's such a, it's something you want to happen to you yeah i think yeah you know just to be there and be serenaded and like the calm because mm. the subway i think is a place where we 
have so much anxiety and so much energy mm. that to have to give her a moment of peace, I thought was really beautiful. That's well done. Thank you. <laughs> um, how can we find you? What can we plug for you? Obviously, we want everyone to watch Random Acts of Flyness season two. Do we know? Yeah. What's next for you girls? Um, so, yes, we got renewed for season two. Woo-woo. It is. Yeah. Um, Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. That that was definitely a good moment. Um, we are still figuring out the timeline of it. Um, for those who may not have heard, Terrence Nance is now got tapped to direct Space Jam 2. <gasps> what? <laughs> oh, yes. my God. Oh, LeBron my God. James. Space Jam is on my notes for our next episode yeah. to talk about. Well, this is, I guess, a good, <laughs> good segue. Anyway. We got an inside info. Look so, at this. So Terrence is directing that, which is really exciting. And, and uh, it's been in the works for a while. So it's 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 now out. And yeah. it's been great to see the reaction um, with Ryan Coogler, you know, producing and LeBron starring. Um, so the Space Jam wow. 2 schedule <laughs> is... Well, contingent on <laughs> the playoffs, I guess. Yeah, or like I mean, yeah, Kelly can talk about this. LeBron's too. schedule. Yeah. So uh, season two is definitely going. It's going to happen. It's just we got to figure out logistics and timing wise. But based yeah. based around this, are uh, you guys going to work on Space Jam too or no? We don't know. Not sure. Yeah, figuring it out. Yeah. What yes. what tunes are going to be on? Like, are <laughs> they going to bring back the Bugs <laughs> no Bunny? Idea. I mean, Bugs Bunny. Of Bugs course. Bunny. He's, yeah, it's got to be Bugs. Right? I think they're trying to use this as a way to get kids Revamp. to. to Buy some Bugs Money merch yeah, at the end of for it. For sure. I just want Tweety to be a part of it, and that's all I care about. <laughs> I'll make sure to yeah. <laughs> um, But yeah, getting, I'm excited for season two. I definitely, I'm speaking for myself, um, need some need to take a breath. I haven't of course. taken time off in 13 months at this point. So I'm really going to use this fall to do some writing and catch my breath a bit is sort of my big ambitious goals. Uh, I'm in post on a movie that's going to be submitting to festivals um, in a few weeks. Um, and trying to get another movie off the ground, but amazing. Mostly trying to rest and write. Well, my personal sending thing. you good regeneration vibes Thank for you. this fall. Yeah. Yeah. It's a nice time to hibernate. Yeah, yeah. so it feels a little anti- like because usually I think of fall as like back to school and yeah. everyone else is into yeah. it, and I'm like I'm gonna try to power dial down. Back. Yeah. It's a hit the reset time. I'm it's, definitely powering down. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you are. Um, I'm gonna force myself to. There's things that need to be done, and I'll do some of them, but. I'm going to try to rest before I have to keep a human being alive. (laughs) So I don't know how you do it. That's my, that's my goal. Cause I'm (laughs) December is going to get real. Yes. So crazy. Yeah. Well, Well, ladies, this has been phenomenal. What a great conversation. Thanks for taking us. us. And congratulations on all of the success and just the incredible things you're doing. Yeah. And we'll continue to follow and promote as we get dates closer and stuff like that. Yeah. I appreciate it. Really appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks for having this podcast. Happy Feminist Wednesday, guys. Happy Feminist Wednesday. Bye. Hey guys, I'm Lissa Mandel. I'm Philip Cassell. And we're here from The The Bitch Bitch Seat, the podcast. It's an interview show where we talk to guests about the horrible and beautiful parts of their youth. We like to think of it as an adult talk show and tell. A grown-up show and tell. There you go. Like that. So for a teaser, here's some magnetic poetry that I wrote on my fridge when I was 12. Hit it, Phil. Dreams of whispered music felt snow white and lathered me in delirious symphonies. The ache within is black and bitter. A thousand frantic shadows scream and chant bitterly. I sleep on a lake of a thousand diamonds. You were 12? Yeah, I was way ahead of my time. Fair enough. Tune in.
This has been an Atlantic Transmission production. Hey!